Well, hello again, everybody. Yeah. Let me see. I'm just looking out here. Okay. First off, let me say, God gives us all gifts, and I just seen one on display. That young lady playing the drums was off the chain. I, I heard it was her first time, and I, you know, usually first-time people, they have jitters, and all. She got up there and just killed it. So thank you, young lady, wherever you are. Uh, my name is John Turnipseed. I spoke here last week. And so um, this sermon will be a little different because, you know, if I had to get this, this sermon last week, you probably wouldn't have me back. No, <laughs> no I'm, I'm just playing. I represent Urban Ventures. I'm the executive vice president and the campus pastor. And uh, I just want to give you some messages from the inner city. And first thing I want to tell you is that uh, my Caucasian brothers and sisters, you do not own racism. That you, you guys have been claiming it for years and everybody's been saying it's yours, but the worst thing in the world that we have today is rednecks, blacknecks, yellownecks, and brownnecks. Trust me, I've been around them all. I used to be one, you understand? So I'm just taking that trophy away from you and making you share it with everybody else, okay? So anyways, um, I want to talk about um, George Floyd. George Floyd had to die. That sounds sort of cruel to say, but he shed light on something that we were complaining about for years. Nobody believed us. Oh, they must be criminals. Oh, they, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter that George Floyd wasn't the greatest guy in the world. He was one of Jesus' boys, and he should be treated as such. And also, we think that policing, it's a white police problem. In Baltimore, they have almost all police, and they're one of the worst police forces in the world against black people. You know, so policing is the issue. The power corrupts absolutely, okay? And we just need more Jesus in the police force. That's what we need and stuff. Because don't, and anybody that wants to defund the police, I'll tell you how to do that. Don't call them. Because I'm going to keep mine. You understand? Just don't call them. Don't look them in the eye. Don't say hi. And don't want, don't let them help you with anything. That's the way you defund the police. Because our community is in shambles right now. The police, just think if your wife, when you, they did the defund the police thing, just think if your wife or husband came home and said, I want to divorce you. I don't want you around no more. What would you, how would you feel? Well, that's how the police feel. I have police friends. And say, hey, they almost voted us out of here. They, you know, we've been jumping in front of bullets and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, we had some bad police officers. Yeah, that, that happened. But man, so now we're down to half, 50% of what we should have in Minneapolis, and crime is off the chain. People are shooting each other in the face. A little 14-year-old boy just got shot the other day. You only hear about the murders. You don't hear about all the shootings and corruption that's going on. Young kids are smoking crack uh, on Nicollet Avenue. It's, it's just crazy because police presence so anyways, I just wanted to give a shout out to them. George Floyd had to die to shed light on something. He, it actually changed the way we look at things. It changed 
our country, our nation. And then, you know, I know sometimes people have a um, thing about Black Lives Matter. Now, the organization, eh, I'm not crazy about it. I'll just say that. You know, they do what they do. But the slogan, I love. And a lot of people said, you know what, that slogan, eh, that's sort of selfish. You know, it should be all lives matter. Well, if all lives matter, we wouldn't have been in slavery. Okay? We just want to matter. That's all we want. We feel we're not mattered about. So if this, I'm going to give an example. If um, you remember Save the Whales? Yeah, you remember that campaign. Well, didn't nobody jump up and say, and save the monkeys too. And save, what about the giraffes? And all this, you know, they just said, you're right. They're endangered. Let's save them. So anyways, I just need to get that out of the way and stuff. Um, George Floyd's death did a lot of good and a lot of damage. It did a lot of damage. In our community, we have the largest Latino community in the nation, right in South Minneapolis. I'm, I'm, I'm about eight blocks from where George Floyd died. That's where my office is, okay? And the Latino population was tore up. During the riots and looting, it was tore up. And what they seen on their cameras was young black people coming into their shops. So now the divide between black and Latino is like tripled. You know, all the looting, yes, it was mostly black people doing the looting. The burning, we didn't do. Outside people came in. We have a $40 million building and two guys um, had broke the windows, had two large 20-gallon gas cans headed into our buildings before our neighbors pulled a rifle on him, on them and told them to leave, or else Urban Ventures would be gone. Our school, our soccer, our, our basketball courts, we'd have failed as an organization. God, God has given us something great. So that's some of the negative stuff that came in. It's dishonored George Floyd, all the rioting, and all that stuff, that, that's not God. That's evil. That's darkness. So our community was surrounded with darkness. And we were complaining about the police, but we did the most damage. So we need healing in our community. But the problem is, we've denied Jesus. Just like in Mark 14, 30. Um, let me see what I better, instead of trying to say it. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. We've disowned Jesus. We've taken him out of schools. We've taken the Ten Commandments down. And when I speak sometimes, you know, they know I'm a, I'm a Baptist minister. And they say, hey, John, you know, when you pray, uh, you know, we got mixed religions in here. Could you just say God? And I say, nope. I've been in places where, you know, we, we will participate in other people's religion, but we won't, and we were afraid to, uh, what, what would I say, um, disrespect them by saying Jesus. We'll be in a Muslim thing, and we'll, they'll pray to Allah, and we'll all pray to, with them. We'll be in a Buddhist thing, and they'll do their Buddhist thing, and we think it's so neat, and we'll pray with them and stuff. 
but you dare mention Jesus and there'll be a riot. The most hated name in the world, except for those who love him. Okay, that's the trick of the enemy. Um, I, I say this about Jesus. I, I love him. I'm one of God's boys. If we loved Jesus as much as we loved our dog, We'd be, Jesus would be clapping and, and singing praises in heaven. What, when we first thing we do when we come home, hey, poo-poo, how you doing? Oh, give me a kiss. Let me take you for a walk. Oh, is your water bowl empty? Come sit in my lap. Just watch movies together. Yeah. And we pray to Jesus maybe once every Sunday. Or every one, and when we get in trouble, too, I forget that. Just think if we love Jesus as much as we love our football team. I'm a Viking fan. I bleed purple, man. Let a Packer fan come around me, you know. <laughs> I, I believe they're going to win the Super Bowl every year. When they, what, oh, they, that's, yeah, that's funny, right? <laughs> when when uh, they lose, the referees cheated, okay? We are the greatest team in the world. So what if we went to four Super Bowls and lost all four of them? We are gracious enough to let other people win. <laughs> That's who we are. But if we, if I love, if we love God like we love, we've, I've seen some, a guy with a Packer truck. He had Green Bay painted all over, had his face painted and all that kind of stuff. Came into Viking territory and people were throwing eggs at him and he proudly, proudly had a Brett Favre jersey on and he just proudly proclaimed the Green Bay Packers. How do we proudly proclaim Jesus Christ? I don't think we do. I think, you know, we do it, you know, when we're all like-minded, you know, everybody's in the same room and all that is safe. But we need to proclaim him. That's our father. So uh, they took him out of schools. Um, we honor other gods, the gods of money, the gods of fame, the gods of good looking, all these gods we worship all the time. You know, if a person works a 16-hour day, they're worshiping money. I, I understand it. I get it. I get it. But when you die, all that money somebody else gets. So you're working for somebody else. I'll just tell you that. And it's okay, you know, because everybody needs a little hookup. When you leave, I want you to leave more than your name. When they took the Ten Commandments down, that really bothered me because that was the heart of Christianity. And in the inner city, Jesus is being distorted. We're being told lies about him. There are prophets of evil out there that are coming into our community and telling people, Jesus, eh, but listen here, let me tell you this. You know, we've got in my African-American community, people are saying it's a white folks uh, religion, and they have hoodwinked, bamboozled us, and led us astray by this Jesus dude. But every religion follows the Bible. They, 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 they'll admit that there's things in Abraham and all that. They say that all that's true, but they take Jesus out. It's like if you took a book and you took certain pages out, the book ain't the book no more. So if, if why would they let the, the number one best-selling book in the world is the Bible? Why would they keep letting that Bible be printed if there was a lie in it? And I'll tell you this. Like I said, I, this is my second time here, so I won't be here probably no more again. So I'll say this. Um, 
um, the worst threat to African-American men, I got to say this, and I'm not hating on them, is the Nation of Islam. This is why I say that. You know, because they're no, I, you know, they're good people. The Buddhists are good. Everybody's good people, okay? But they tell people that Jesus was not God. That's one of their main philosophies. So here's a young man, African-American man, grows up in the church. God said, don't deny him. Once you know the truth, you are held to that. So all of a sudden, somebody comes with another doctrine and say, hey, you know what? That Jesus stuff, that, that really don't work. So all of a sudden, they start saying it themselves and believing it themselves and teaching their kids that Jesus, the king of kings, was just a normal person or a prophet. So I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, Jesus, our father, is under attack. And if he's under attack, so are we. If that's, if think of your mother or your father being viciously attacked. How would you feel? Our father is being viciously attacked. And so, you know, how do we combat that? We have an army. But the army is like on leave. You know how many Christians there are in the world? You know how many people that believe in Jesus Christ? If we ever moved in one direction, we'd stop all the silliness. If we ever, I was driving down here and I seen the Lutheran church and I seen a, a Baptist church on my way. I drove from Brooklyn Park and I seen a Kojic church and I'm like, oh my God, that's like gangs. <laughs> it, you know, they don't divide it up. Wait a minute, if you're serving, it's, it's, you're serving, it's just like you live in a house, you got eight brothers and all of them want to be called something different. No, I don't want my last name to be turnip seed. I want it to be apple seed. I don't want it, you know, all that stuff. That's how divided the church is. We have different doctrines, but how do we have different doctrines if we're raised in the same house? If we have the same father? I know we all have differences, but we divide up, you know. Some of us, and then, you know, there's Pentecostal, and uh, I sometimes go to a Pentecostal church, and uh, I want to tell you, pack a lunch. <laughs> so anyway, I, I try not to, but they, uh, nothing against, no, I'm, I'm, you know, they, it's wonderful. But I'll tell you a little story a little later about a Pentecostal church. So um, we have to get back to work. We got work to do with our kids. It's just like when you're on an airplane, the oxygen mask comes, you know, the plane is something happening. They tell you to put your mask on first. Save yourself first, then save your kids. Okay? Because if you just try to save your kids and you ain't saved, it's all over. You know? So anyways, we have to save ourselves first and we have to keep working. So I'm going to tell you the greatest sermon I've ever heard, and it's not long. Okay? All right. In the Baptist church, when a bishop dies, only a bishop can do the service. Okay? I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. But they'll pick certain Baptist boys to be up on stage. There'll be about 10 of us. It's a fashion show, man. You see, this is how, this is mild, okay? This, this is how I roll. If you see me, I'm in a suit all the time because that's what Baptist ministers do and stuff. 
when people on the street see me in the, my community, they say I'm either uh, a lawyer or a preacher and stuff. So anyways, um, we're all up there, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're all up there and it's, it's a big day because Bishop Charlie Robinson, good old boy from Alabama, can't read or write but can preach the house down, okay? Bishop Charlie Robinson is going to do the service. I am excited. I am excited. So in the church, this is Pentecostal now, the choir whipped everybody into a frenzy. Man, there was people running up and down the aisle like their hair was on fire. You know, there were people passing out, you understand, speaking in tongues. Boy, it was, woo, it was on fire, man. Come on, somebody. Jesus is in the house. And it was just the, I mean, the band is playing, the organ, you know, it's like, oh, man. Bishop Charlie Robinson is going to give us the message. Woo! So all of a sudden, after about two hours, the band stopped playing. <laughs> and Bishop Charlie Robinson got up, and he had this big baritone voice. I can't do his voice. And he wiped, you know, his head. He had a, a towel in his hand, actually, because he sweats a lot. And he wiped his forehead. And he looked at everybody because he looked at you like with one eye. Look at everybody. Then he said this. If you work for God long enough, you'll get paid after a while. I said, man, this is going to be good. I ain't never heard something like that. I don't know what it means, but I ain't never heard it. <laughs> if, then he said it another time. He said it in a deeper voice. If you work for God long enough, you'll get paid after a while. And then he let it sit for a second, and the saints went crazy. People were shouting and falling out of chairs and all that kind of stuff. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm like, he ain't said nothing yet. <laughs> so I waited, I, you know. And he said it four more times, four or five more times. Then he sat down. I'm like, I know he didn't. <laughs> I know he just didn't come up here. To, I, th I know what happened. He's probably drunk last night, and he didn't prepare. Okay? You know, and uh, I just waited, and nothing happened. But everybody is, is tearing the church up. They're crying. They're shouting. I got very angry, and I left. I didn't even wait for the chicken wings. Um, every Baptist funeral has chicken wings, okay? It's an old, old Baptist tradition. Anyways, so I left, and I'm angry. And you know what backbiting is when you talk about somebody behind their back? Well, Christians, when we backbite somebody, we break their whole neck. Our teeth are a little longer than regular people, you know. When we backbite people, boy, we basically bury them. So I'm telling people, man, I went to, don't ever go to Charlie Robinson's church, man. That man ain't no man of God. He, man, he just told us this old crazy story and one-sentence sermon and stuff. Who does that? I was raised in the church. I know what a sermon is. You're supposed to be prepared. You're supposed to have something. You're supposed to bring the word to people. Can't stand him. Praise God. Now, I had a friend. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I had a friend named William who had been an ex-pimp 
and stuff. I grew up in that environment, okay? Pimps and drug dealers and gangbangers. That's where I come from, okay? So most of my friends were pimps, drug dealers, and gangbangers. But when I changed my life, I didn't hang around with the pimps, drug dealers, and gangbangers. Even though if Jesus Christ was here on earth, that's who he'd be hanging with. They'd arrest him for loitering. Uh, they'd think he was soliciting prostitutes and stuff. Anyway, so he got in, been in prison for 10 years. He's from um, Memphis, one of the Memphis boys. He used to ride, ride Cadillacs and everything, you know, money coming out of his ears and all this kind of stuff. And he went to prison, and he got into a fight, and they threw him over the third floor, and he broke his back. And uh, it didn't heal right, and the prison didn't give him the medical services that he needed. So he gets home. By now, my life is saved. I'm a minister. I'm, I'm working. I'm, I'm doing my thing. And he comes to me, and I take him to church with me, and he got saved. And he was happy. Even though he didn't have a dime to his name, his kids had disowned him, basically, because, you know, he broke and living in a shelter has two pair of pants and stuff, you know, and I helped him out, you know, bought him some more clothes and stuff, and uh, he couldn't read or write, so he couldn't get a job, didn't have any ID, you know, so he couldn't, trying to apply for Social Security, and nothing's happening. So one day he came, it's about two months, he's been saved, three months, he came to my office, and he stood in the doorway, and I could feel the tension in him. And I said, hey, you all right? He said, no, I'm not all right. And, and don't you say nothing about that Jesus dude. I'm like, oh, what, what's going on? See, let me tell you something, man. You know, that Jesus thing is like Santa Claus. You know, you guys feed us that so we'll act right. He, I said, you know, if he loved me, he would be doing things for me like he's doing for you, man. You got your little suit on and stuff. You got your little new car out there. You got a home in the suburbs and all this kind of stuff. You got an office and, you know, all this stuff. So, of course... Absolutely, you're praising the Lord. He don't like me. He don't like me. I've cried out to him. And he burst in the, I've never, William's a tough dude. He burst into tears, just wailing, you know, grown man in my office. People were coming by to see you. Anything all right? In there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, you know, I didn't know what to do. I'm a minister. I got to say something to him, but I can't. He told me not to bring that Jesus stuff up, but, oh, God, give me a word. Give me a word. And all of a sudden, I said, um, if you work for God <laughs> long enough, you'll get paid after a while. <laughs> now, I don't know where that came from, but I said a true story. And William looked at me. I thought he was going to hit me in my mouth because he told me not to say nothing about Jesus. And he looked at me and he said, Pastor, that's it. What? Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you. He said, I quit working. That's why my paycheck was short. He said, you've been working for the Lord 15 years, man. I, that's why your paycheck is so big. That's why he blesses you so much. I came in here with three months and expect to get a big paycheck like you're getting. Man, oh, I need to go back to work. And I said, hallelujah, brother. Wait a minute, I'm looking for a collection plate. But anyway, so um, <laughs> I'm sorry, that was, that was a bad joke. <laughs> that message wasn't meant for me. It was meant for me to take it to William. 
William went out, got on fire for the Lord. His, his ID came in. He got on Social Security for his back. He got an apartment and stuff. He paid me back the $50 he owed me. And God is good. And that's what it was. You got to keep working. Continue to continue. Jesus kept working. Even the day of his death, he was working. On the cross, he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He took the, the thief with him off the cross. Something that everybody else would consider a scumbag. He took him to paradise with him. Because he kept working. And he cried out to his father and he listened to his father. Like in today's world, kids are not listening to their fathers. You know, fathers are buddies now and all that stuff. So anyways, um, I work for God. Somebody asked me one time, um, why do you, I, you know, if I did a different type of sermon, I would tell my life story, which is pretty depressing, you know. And I've been through some stuff that I never want any other kids. I've been hurt as a child in every way you can imagine and all that stuff. And people say, man, why do you tell those stories when they're hurtful? And I said, because I'm, I'm working for God and I, somebody can relate to that story. And if nobody told their stories of their pain and ills and stuff, that kid might think that they're all alone. And God has healed me. He has brought me back from that. He has taken care of that. So I can talk about my past because it will help somebody. Yeah, it's painful sometimes. If I tell the story of my three-year-old son that was beat to death, that's painful. But I need to tell that story. And while I'm telling that story, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I work with a lot of men, a lot of men. And uh, they come in with different things. And uh, most of the time, most of the men don't know I had a three-year-old son that was beat to death by another guy um, that was babysitting him. And I, I just don't tell the story because I've forgiven the guy. Ain't no need to keep harping on it, you know. I don't even, I've forgotten his name because I forgave him, you know. I'm not Jesus, but I had to forgive him because the pain of not forgiving him was too much. It hurt. I was crying all the time, smoking crack, all that stuff. So I forgave him for my own sake, you know, because think about it. You were, what if you get to the uh, pearly gates and Jesus is there saying, you know, uh, you didn't forgive Billy, did you? You didn't forgive your mom, did you? Well, we can't have you up here because, you know, we don't, you know we're not having people up here that carry grudges. We're not having people up here that don't listen to my word. What if that really happened? I think about that sometimes. So I double forgave everybody I know because I'm going. I'm getting there. I already got my mansion picked out with a yellow Cadillac sitting out front. Anyway, so I, I say that to say this guy walks into my office and he wants to just talk to a pastor. He needs forgiveness. And I said, hey, he had just gotten out of prison. And I said, well, what do you need forgiveness for? He said, I murdered my son. He was two and a half years old. I hit him, and he fell and hit his head, and he killed him. And I don't know what to do with that pain and grief. So I prayed with him and told him it's going to be okay. And, you know, I'm going to work with you. You know, just come see me anytime you want to talk about it. 
So about three weeks later, he came to see me two or three times. And about the fourth time he came, he said, hey, man, why didn't you tell me that your son was beat to death, man? I know you can't stand me. So he said, you know what? You just sat up here, and I'm talking to a guy that his son was killed, and you know I killed my son. Why would you do that, man? I said, because I love you. I, I, can't, I can't take my son back or your son back, but sin is sin. And if I was judged by everything I did and stuff, I would never be forgiven. And I said, I work, with, I work for God. I'm a God boy. I'm, I walk with Jesus. That's who I roll with. You know, I'm one of Jesus' thugs, if you want to call it that. <laughs> so anyways, that's how Christians should act. And I'm not the perfect Christian. I'm a pretty good one. You know, I believe in God, and John 3.16 saved my life. Because somebody had told me a long time ago that if you do a bunch of stuff, you'll never be forgiven. You can't get into heaven. So I said, well, I might as well live like hell then. I might as well get ready. And um, John 3.16, when I read it, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, even Johnny Turnipseed, believes in him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. The gift he gave his most prized possession, his son, for us, that deserves some reparations. That's right. Jesus is owed some reparations. He died for us and stuff. And all he wants for reparations is us to love him. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. And if we love him, our life gets better. We treat people better. Gangs disappear. A famine disappears. All this ugly stuff in the world, sexism, racism, all that stuff goes away. He just wants us to love each other. And as I said last Sunday, he gave, gave us one job. Go out and make disciples. He didn't say, all right, build 14 temples and, and build a concrete um, wall down there and do this. He said, no, go out and make disciples. And how do you do that? You being, being a good Christian. That's how you do that. People will see the light in you. And then don't be afraid to tell people who your God is and how good he is. It's like we're eating apple pie and this other person has never tasted apple pie and it's so good and stuff. Well, why don't we share it with them? We share the things that we love. So, you know, um, in closing, you know, and this is not a Baptist closing because we'd be about 9 o'clock tonight. I'd be saying my last thing. But George Floyd's death, like I said, did a lot of good and a lot of damage. But it woke the world up, and we don't need to be woke up again like that. We don't need to be woke up again like that. We need to love each other. We need to stop being black necks and red necks and yellow necks and, you know, brown necks. We need to be brothers and sisters. I am not, you know, when I walk into this church, I don't think there's another, oh, there's some people who look like me. A couple of them. But I don't think of it that way. I think I'm in a room full of Christians. That's what I am. I just happen to be black. Just happen to be, you know. 
but I'm in a room full of Christians. This is my brotherhood, my sisterhood, whatever you want to call it. I belong here. I am not a stranger. So I want to thank you for welcoming me. I want to tell you, those of you that have sort of taken a lunch break for four hours, get back to work. You got, we got a job to do. Life is about this short. We don't have all, we ain't gonna live to be like Moses and all them. You know, that's over. God said, oh, that's too long. That's, that's just too long. I'm, I'm just so mad at y'all, I'm just gonna cut it down. But so keep working because as the pastor said, if you work for God long enough, you'll get paid after a while. I want to call the, the choir back up. Would you come on up? And there she is with the, the little gifted one. Praise God. And I want to pray for us. If you'll allow me, thank you. <sighs> Heavenly Father, once again, you woke us up this morning. All your kids didn't wake up this morning, but you woke us up. You woke up, up this morning, and as we, each breath that we take was given by you. When we take a step, it was you made that work. You put a brain in us that makes everything work. We can point our fingers, we can move our toes, and all this kind of stuff. You gave us so much that we can never repay you, but you said that we can repay you by giving our life to you, Father and serving you, and we must become servants, not just to the world, but to our family also. So Father, we just pray for families, we pray for relationships, but most importantly, we pray for the relationship that's most important in the world, the relationship with you, Father. You are a great Father, you are never late on your child support, and we love you, Jesus, amen. <laughs>